0: Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood.
1: And I'm here with Maury Boise Barlin. And I don't know if you can hear, but I'm smiling so much that my voice has taken on a certain quality. That's how overjoyed I am to be speaking with you, Morrie.
0: Oh, you say all the right stuff. It's we, I <laughs> It's so good. I do have to say, um, I've given up university. Uh, recently I've deferred university and Mm -hmm. I don't study I'm not studying my dementia care degree through the beautiful UTAS course at the moment Mm -hmm. because yeah I get enough from talking to you we really pull stuff (laughs) apart and so this is my new education and we're in the middle of an election campaign so we're going to answer questions as opposed to um, not answering (laughs) Those uh, of you listening outside of uh, Australia, we are in the middle of a, a federal election. And today, the question on everyone's lips is, who cares about transitions in later life? Daniela?
1: I care. I care a lot. I really liked the interview with Jeff Hamawi, and I think um, I think he touched, I loved that he said he came from a completely different field yeah. into sort of gerontology or ageing, and I loved that um, he said, oh, you know, we kind of stumbled onto this. I liked all of those sorts of, um, you know, it just really – and it made me think of you too, Maury. And, and Ash, but definitely around not coming from a particular profession within the ageing industry, you know. gives you it, it gives you new perspective, different perspectives. I think it's why it's so important to be dealing with um, – Community sort of level, and I would say maybe population global level kind of conversations with a lot of different people at the table.
0: I also resonated strongly with him not coming from a medicalised background and yeah. coming from a totally different background because my background is is as you know is theatre is acting, mm-hmm. um, and there's lots of good reasons why that that's helpful in what I do. But I I liked very much that the perspective that you come with when you come to that table. Uh, of a non-medicalized background now of course it's not to say that we don't respect a medical background but it's just a different perspective to 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 get more colors in the rainbow i guess you mm. could say i he said a number of, of, of things it was funny i i was waiting for as i do in the 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 interviews that ash does with all of our great uh our great guests i was waiting for a profound moment and and i kept waiting and i i didn't sort of really hit one but at the end of it, I realised it was a really beautiful conversation and really there's something about his tone, you know, that that yeah. really eased me into what he talked about. And he talked about facilitating as a point where you facilitated the voices and people's ideas and generating in the room mm-hmm. as a facilitator. And often the trap of facilitators facilitator is to try and answer everything and guide mm-hmm. rather yep. than facilitate what the group wants. And he talked about, you know... Um, what are the shells that we've all found on the beach together? Yeah, and let's yeah. Share them. And that, that was a beautiful I re- – when I replayed his interview, I was really taken by that metaphor. Um, it was a yeah. beautiful one.
1: It's what each people bring in terms of their experience to a room and I think his approach is one of um, facilitating the share of that, the sharing of that group knowledge that all of those people bring with them in, in terms of their life experience. And I was thinking too, well, if you're talking about life transitions, um, obviously the expert in any field is gonna be the person who's experienced it the most. And of course, older people will have experienced some of those, um, those I think he said 26 sort of different life transitions plus the three life quakes. Yes. There's a pretty good chance older people have experienced those, which is why um, which is why it's really important to sort of talk to them about how they've navigated them and always keep that in mind.
0: It it was really surprising to think about those twenty-six transitions and the and the three life quakes, because they're different. But I was taken also when he talked about what a transition was for him, and he talked mm. about a transition is how you handle change. And that—that that is another thing that really resonated with me on a second listen.
1: Well, that's the thing between the thing, isn't it? He spoke mm. about there being an ending and he spoke about, you know, what rituals do we have for endings of things? And then um, that messy middle where we're kind of grappling <laughs> with, what do i do what what does this mean for me and then um obviously the beginning of the new beginning and what really struck me is um uh you know my undergraduate degree is recreation therapy and that's a huge component of that course is transitions around um in terms of health psychology in terms of um of uh even health promotion what uh, um how people grapple with those transitions to move to the next phase, and I think, um, especially in an aged care setting, a lot of the a lot of the education is around, like he said, how do we help people find new things and find purpose? And then, he spoke about you know the middle age sort of running around looking after you know the sandwich generation, lots of caring, and um, and people who find themselves in that situation. And if they, if someone like that is suddenly finds themselves, no matter what age, in a situation of um, not being able to do those things anymore, a, a sort of a rec therapist would ask, well, would would work with the person to dig deeper, to sort of try and find the deeper, the deeper um, values and even maybe even morals that underpin that previous purpose. So when I've worked like that, especially with women who talk about Their whole purpose was, you know, working in the household and making meals and getting people off to school. A lot of women of that age, and they've lost that now. It's really looking at, well, why was that meaningful? And it's, and you'll often get to things like, because I wanted to be helpful, because I wanted to make a difference, because Mm -hmm. you know I wanted to help others. So it's like, uh Mm aha, now that is a narrative thread that we can draw into now because there's millions of opportunities at any age to continue in that type of a purposeful activity whether it's in one-on-one relationships whether it's in you know and i think that none of those things are about individuals really when you think about it everyone's looking for individual purpose but when you when you think about it none of them start from a blank scratchboard. you know we don't wake up and are born and, and and define ourselves through that purpose we learn it and 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 come to value it in the context of the groups we belong to. The churches, the sporting groups, the schools, the family relationships, you know, they're the the things that help us define those really key aspects of
0: ourselves.
1: You know, so... So, the
0: role, well, it it is our purpose. We often talk about it as role. It's really interesting, you know, what you're saying. It just made me think of something, Daniela, and I want to throw this one and see what you think. I'm just thinking, you know, like if we reflect back to what they call sundowning which is not a term i particularly like but um often people you know they talk about sundowning you know or, or end of day behavior it's again it's behavior you know if we think back on to reflect on what you've just said about purpose and what was what important to us if we think of the time of day that occurs that is the time of day at the end of school end of work kids come home from school husband come home, wife comes home, everyone gathers around, there's cooking, there's put the dog out, there's water the garden, there's, you know, watch the ABC News, there's quickly have dinner together. There's a whole range of things that happen at the end of the day, together, usually, it's a family. And there's certain things that we do. And if we think of that being removed from one's life, when we've got, our brain has changed and we we can't quite fathom our world as we once did, it makes sense to me. That there's this this, this sense of well, what do I do now? This is the end of day. You know we've got a time clock, and and I kind of I kind of made me when you were saying that I was just thinking reflecting for those of us the the work on the floor. You know, for our uh, our frontline teams that are working with people to really think about what sundowning means. You know what what is causing it? What's the underlying unmet need there? What, what do you think of that? Am I talking oh, rubbish? No, or? not
1: at all. I think I hear sundowning spoken about often like someone's had a blood test and it's shown up, mum's got sundowning, you know. <laughs> um, oh, it,
0: no. know, really, because be-
1: because it sounds sciency y um, <laughs> and it sounds medical, it kind of comes with that authority. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's not really scientific. It's just no. observed by people and there's two sides to that. One is we... Don't put ourselves in the shoes of older people. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's what the whole, I don't think there's any one reason for it. But if you can imagine being really, these people have often been wrenched out of bed quite early for a breakfast they didn't really feel like yet. And then they're given all of these things to do for their own good sort of thing, to give them purpose. Um, And then it becomes afternoon. Often old people get really tired. You know, it's almost considered a failing that they don't attend the one o'clock activity because they want to have a lie down after lunch. Gosh, I like to have a lie down after lunch. Um, so there's also that, you know, people don't have the energy and it's mental energy and physical energy, you know. So I often think we've set these people up into in just, just a routine that doesn't match them. But also there's a place in America who started doing 12-hour shifts and they found that the time of day when the shift handover happens usually around three o'clock, two thirty, three o'clock, rather than and, and older people watching people grabbing their keys and their bags yeah. and the changeover of stuff, yep. um, as if they don't notice that uh, they're seeing all this change and people going and they're like, everyone's leaving. Where should I be? And mm-hmm. they uh, they pretty much eradicated what is is known as sundowning. So I can't help but think there's probably a lot of factors in there. Wow. That, that aren't as. Um, yeah. I, I'm not saying. I mean, that is a, a an opinion. Yeah, no, that, but that's um, so that, fascinating. That people are wanting to make dinner and you know pick their kids up from school, but there's also probably also a whole lot of other things there. And again, I would say I think that points to humility. We cannot know the inner workings of someone else's brain. No. Simple as that.
0: But but, so, that, but that's so interesting that so I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that before, and I'd, I'd like to talk more. Some point about that, and certainly find out more about that shift because that that is something I hadn't really considered. And we do assume that people don't notice these things because they have dementia and they're you know not focused on it. Of course, they they notice. And again, it's a transition. You know, it's a transitional point in the day, mm. and and so they're probably in that soupy cocoon bit yeah. that, that Jeff talked about. And I and I really like That's that um, that that you know the the, the caterpillar a cocoon butterfly idea and that soupy bit it's it's not much fun but it got me thinking that I'm wondering I'm wondering if you know we've had a royal commission again the 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 one that we had that that's gone by now Uh, we had one a long time before that you know and and there's a lot of there's not enough talk in our politics at the moment during the campaign about aged care they've tried to put on the table but they go back to other things I'm wondering if we are in the middle of that soupy mix in aged care at the moment, where we what, there's a transition coming, in and we just don't know what it is, and we're sitting in this awful place because mm. it it feels like it can't continue to me, and uh, that's something that I thought about from what as Jeff spoke about transitions. I don't know. Yeah,
1: un- unfortunately, I think um, there's a lot of things happening in the background with um, kind of bureaucratic structures and. Uh, And I think all coming from a health department perspective, which is very different Mm. than an arts-based or a human rights-based perspective, expertise from within the health department who are probably putting things in place now that are going to be hard to stop. But the transition thing, yeah, I really loved them talking about that and talking about – And you you know what struck me after what you just said then about – about the afternoon being like a transition time. Mm. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Because it just struck me, um, it really resonated with my experience uh, in terms of working with, with people who really spend a lot of the day wondering where they are and when they are. Mm. And can you imagine how exhausting that would be? And almost every in the moment, Interaction involves a really sensitive approach to every one of those moments being a transition point. I think you've really touched on something really special there that when you're working with people who can't carry a lot of threads from one moment into the next, how do we bridge the tiny in-the-moment moments that make up people's lives?
0: It's, It's certainly... It's certainly food for thought, isn't it? Yeah. Um, something that I'm going to be sitting on and thinking on. Me you know, too, since sweet, you, you know. said it.
1: I, I absolutely love it to take those transition moments into the micro moments that make up people's lives.
0: And this is why I've left uni, because we get to have discussions like this. I don't need uni. This is an education for me.
1: Okay, Moz, I'm going to get challenging now. I'm just to highlight one small thing. He did say <laughs> that... Initially, he was really drawn to the word "elder," yeah, and then they all used "elder" and that, and he he discovered from actually older people themselves, both working with him and, and 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 in the general community, that they didn't like it. Yeah, and yeah, and I think because uh, we've spoken about this quite a few times, and mm-hmm. I know that people use it as a sort of thing, a recognition and a way to treat people, but that's the difference between a care ethic. And a justice perspective based on solidarity whoa which is recognizing what people themselves choose to be affiliated with that links with who they how they see themselves
0: and I think that's very important but but when we talk about people there's so many different people no one and we see this in the oh, we saw this recently in the LBgtQI episode where some people wanted to reclaim the word queer. But a lot of people of an older age, the word there's too had much a lot baggage. Baggage to it, you know. And I, I think that, you know, it's very difficult to get everyone to agree to yeah. a term. So, That's the
1: danger about clumping people in different groups chronologically or um mm. identity wise. It's really important to understand that individuals, um, even though they may be part of that
0: social kind of um the fractured thing, community. It's,
1: it's what they want to be. It's what individuals themselves, where they want to align themselves.
0: Oh, it's always you've got me going to jail already. No, it's I'm going to use you as my lawyer. Hey, what about <laughs> what about if I start using the word consumer? That's the word, the buzzword now. That's a better word, consumer. We can talk about the baggage with that. But,
1: again, some people like to be called clients. Some people like to be called it's a whole not, range of it, things. It
0: doesn't have a – it's so impersonal. Anyway, I, I like it because it's a role. It describes a role. and it's Anyway. I know. I'm going to wait until <laughs> someone throws something at me. I might start trying it this week. Hey, Elder.
1: <laughs> I I think being sensitive to what um, matters to each person
0: and that's what I need to learn, a bit more sensitivity. God knows I could use some classes in that.
1: Look, you know what? But it's exactly the same in disability. They really wanted to be called person with a disability for many, many, many years. Mm. And then it's like, uh-uh, we want to be called now. A lot of people want to be called disabled person because they want to point out the social model that they've been disabled by the system. Yeah. So, um, again, I just think it would be an individual... And in how individuals really see themselves and where they want to be, where they affiliate themselves, and your solidarity would be in recognizing that, finding that out, and and um, and and honouring that.
0: Yeah, well, that's a much better take than I have on it, Daniela. Once again, this is why we're putting you forward for election as the minister for health, education, and terminology. And your <laughs> your low your slogan. Daniela <laughs> Greenwood, words make worlds. There you go. And Ash is going to write a jingle for you.
1: Oh, fantastic!
0: So, coming back to transitions, and and I've I've often thought a lot about this: the transition of leaving your home and your community to move into residential aged care. Like that's that's quite a, a stark transition. Mm. In fact, it's it's not really a transition.
1: It's a one of those um, life quakes.
0: It's a life quake. Yeah, yeah, yeah it so is a life and I, and sun. that's a really great. I'm glad Jeff's introduced us to that term because it really it, it is a life quake, and and I say that because when if we imagine so you know for for all of us out there you know that are seeing people and and meeting uh, our our elders or clients or residents or consumers that come into a service, we then meet somebody that has been taken away from their the their house, the dog that barks at 2 a.m. in the morning, the toast you've got to hold down with one hand because it doesn't work, the fridge that's noisy, the, the rocking chair, our favourite chair by the window, our home, our memories, our garden, uh, the people up the street, the guy down the road that always throws the paper over the fence. We, we, we're taken away from a lot of things that we take for granted, you know, and the transition of moving from... The known into an unknown world no matter how nice the residential aged care service is is really stark you know it's a big mm. shift and i guess we've got to think about the the, the psychological processes of you know kind of get it processing that mm-hmm. you know when someone moves into aged care yeah um and that's I, a really difficult transit well it's a difficult life like
1: i agree and i think we really underestimate that and Um, One thing I would say is it's really important to remind people um, and get them to talk about how they've navigated other transitions because they will have navigated many Mm. and definitely the other two major quakes. So they've already got a lot of the skills and... um, around that, if that makes sense. So reminding them of that is other one, but I've got one small story about that, that really Mm. changed my thinking. And it was back in like 2011, when I was doing that um, project with a group called Akira I was with, where we did lots of research and we did focus groups around using appreciative inquiry to find out what people valued and things. And it was one of the resident only focus groups. And we spoke about one of the residents themselves um, spoke about um, the very first night when she found herself um, lying in a bed in a room with some of her stuff in it but not all of her stuff um, and and just lying there thinking this this is it, this is my room, this is like and, and just the mag- magnitude of that change as she was dark and she looked around the room um, really stuck with her and she said when people met her they were smiley and the nurse was lovely she said hi here's your room da 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 people took some information from her and there was one um there was one male personal carer who sort of uh said good night to her and he was still there in the morning and because I asked what really helped you make that transition and guess what and she said to me everyone was so smiley and nice and everything but there was this one young man who knocked on my door pretty early in the morning to see if I wanted anything. And the first question, he looked at me really seriously and said, how are you holding up? Mm. And she said she just burst into tears because someone had recognised what a huge change this is. And they hadn't been smiling. They just recognised her for what she was going through and experiencing. And to her, she said, that's what meant the most.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. And it, it's so simple. you know. I
1: don't even know what it means, Moz, but this is what stuck out to me when we you said that.
0: Well, uh, you know, often, you know, one of the things that I get asked to do, I offer what, like a PRN session, you know, prescribed as needed kind of session. And that will often be, you know, someone that's come back from the hospital following a full change behaviours, check it out, Moz. But, but mostly it's it's about new uh, when there's a new resident moved in, you know, I will go around and And um, I was once told, so, so I'll go in and, you know, and they'll say, oh, this is Maury And they'll say, oh, what's your job? And I said, well, my job's to annoy people. And oh, how am I going? And they'll always say, pretty good. <laughs> um, and I'll say, can I get that in writing? But, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, just going back to what you said, I was told a long time ago you shouldn't ever ask a resident an elder how they're going. Don't say how are you because they'll, they'll say oh, I'm terrible because they're terrible. I'm like, well then listen to it and respond to it. Sit with it. You know what's the problem? And I always say, how are you traveling? And how are you going today? Yeah. And they'll, and they'll tell me
1: It's just so inhuman, that advice someone gave to you. I know. How Do you know what? There's somebody who really thinks they're the moral decision maker in all of this and they've got the authority. That's (laughs) that's the definition of paternalism and it's so deeply embedded that someone else feels that they have the moral authority to really grapple with decisions and think don't play sad music or don't ask someone how they're going and that is how deeply interwoven the medical model and those legacies of paternalism are in this system, and we need to be vigilant at, at just calling that out and saying, "You're kidding, right?" You need to sh- you need to look at someone and say, "You're kidding, right?" A week ago, they were living next door to someone who would have asked that. Yeah, but well, they've moved into this vortex now, and I don't. Don't get
0: mention to- don't mention the war. You know, it and it's in the standards, right? It's in the standards. Choice. How are you traveling? You tell me how you're going, and it's your choice to tell me or not but I'm here if you want to tell me. Yeah, It's choice. So what do we, you know, like for our frontline teams out there, what do, what do we think the take-home message is for them in this? I would honestly just
1: think it's bring your whole self to work. Don't be creepy. You know, no one wants to be surrounded by someone who's smiling all the time saying, have you had a ni- yeah. nice day? That's good in an aircraft for a two-hour journey. <laughs> but, you know, not with not with other human beings you are probably your closest contact to the human family, yeah. if you don't show a bit of humanity and even vulnerability, um, you give no one else the opportunity to be human.
0: Yeah. I think um it's a very, for me, yeah. you know, like the, the idea of transition and this being a life break is to be really sensitive towards that and not be frightened of, you know, Confronting it and speaking with it and checking in with people and making them, I guess even you know, for me, if it was me, if I know people look at me and they really look at me, and they they they're like, "I'm I'm here for you," just so that I know, mm. um, I think soften yeah, just so soften right. that quake, but we'll have to pick this up another time.
1: Okay, <laughs> we will more. I love. that I would love to talk more about what you bring to each of those in the moment I, moments that would um, be
0: great to talk about and i'd love to talk more about your consistent assignment which i believe is going to come up sooner or later
1: well it's just a way of operationally supporting what you're yeah but
0: about. what a what a great yeah. fit together it would be
1: yeah yes i agree moz It's been so great talking to you. And I've got that joy in my voice again because it really has been and I really look forward to it. Yeah, I find
0: myself smiling a lot. So, hey, great talking to you. You take care of yourself. You'd be good. I will. And send me a postcard. (laughs) Thanks, Moz. Uru.